2: This is the Puck Pooleys Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Puck Pooleys Podcast. It's Matt Larkin, as always, with Stephen Ellis. And this is a special episode. We are talking pure NHL Draft Lottery. The Connor Bedard pick was awarded last night and we need to discuss the fantasy fallout. Steven, scale of 1 to 10, how excited were you with the result on Monday? You
2: know what? I'm just... It feels like I've been following this draft for five years. I'm just happy that we're kind of closer to knowing who's going to wear at this point. So I'll, t- I'll take a 10, just 4, 5, whatever. I'm just... I- I- I'm kind of ready for this draft to hurry up. Yeah, I understand. I-, I think
0: it's a zero in the sense that nobody really wanted him to go to the Chicago Blackhawks, the team that deserved him the least karmically. Uh, but I know, of course, for the NHL itself, it's probably a win. It's a big market. We're going to get to see a lot more Connor Bedard nationally, so that is sort of the glass half full. So I want to just jump right in, Stephen, and let's discuss the fantasy fallout. We're going to look at the top five teams now. We know the draft order, at least the top of it, for the teams that are out of the playoffs. So let's go through those first five teams. I know you have your mock draft on DailyFaceoff.com right now, and let's just let's discuss what the fantasy implications are going to be so we're going to start of course with the chicago blackhawks landing Connor bedard what do you think is the ripple effect from a fantasy perspective for the blackhawks now
2: well it can't be worse than it was this season uh, obviously this team is not very good this year and you know they 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 look like they could have got that number one pick up until the final few days of the regular season i think you know you can only go up from here at this point uh it should be very easy to attract some quality um quality players, I think, this summer. Uh, they'll have the cap space to do it. They were they were planning for a big prospect like this when they started to really sell off a year ago. Um, one guy I'd keep an eye on is, is Seth Jones. As you know, he lost the two guys he was passing to, and then Taze and then Kane, mostly Kane, obviously. But now he's got a guy where he'll be setting up a dart in all situations. I think that would be one where that would be kind of interesting. But, you know, looking at the roster right now, There's obviously not a lot great going for it, but I do think, you know, they got a really good prospect pool. A lot of that won't be ready right away, but I do think that in time they're going to get the pieces they need. And, you know, from a long-term perspective, this could be a group that becomes a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. It's funny. I was going through who I thought would benefit and I I overlooked Seth Jones. It shows how forgotten he's become in those first couple years of the Blackhawks. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Totally. Seth Jones gains a lot. I think the name that I'm watching the closest absolutely is Lucas Reichel. Uh, Obviously, they slow played him a little bit in the AHL. He had nothing left to prove and he had his moments late this season, I think. And I definitely expect him to be a full-time NHLer next year. So to me, there's just on paper right now not a ton of competition for him to end up high in the lineup and I know he's been known to play more than one forward position but I I think it's a situation where the Blackhawks they could shoehorn him into a line and make it work with him and Connor Bedard if need be and I think you're right about the free agency situation the Blackhawks have I think more than 40 million dollars in cap space so who knows who they might be adding to the fray and obviously having Bedard is a massive selling point especially not just if you want to go to a winner but if you're looking for a one-year deal and the chance to play with Bedard, puff up your stats, that's another way to lure a free agent. And of course, I'm wondering if Patrick Kane might be going back to Chicago now to sort of be the former first overall pick, mentor, sort of the insulation for Bedard, even from a media standpoint. So we'll see about that. I'm wondering if he could sort of revive his career from a fantasy perspective as well. Uh, and also from a prospect perspective, a guy I'm really looking at closely uh, is Kevin Korczynski. So... Okay. We don't know if he's going to be an NHLer this year, but his potential, as Ryan Kennedy said on our previous episode, very high. And if you just look at the possible power play scenarios down the road, Koczynski is going to be the guy quarterbacking it. And I think he could have some monster fantasy numbers in a few years. So, Stephen, let's talk now about the Anaheim Ducks so they're the quote unquote loser they had the best odds in the draft lottery 25.5% but they're still getting a really good player it's likely going to be Adam Fantilli what are the fantasy implications
2: there well first off this is very fitting because this is exactly what happened in the Sidney Crosby draft um but you know I was I really had some like just great thoughts about like how fun it would be to see a power play with mctavish and bedard and zegris and zelweger and you could even throw drysdale you could put literally two defensemen on there but because zollweger acts as a four forward that would have been great um but you know it won't be they'll be getting likely adam Fantilli, a guy who was asleep during the draft lottery um having talked to him yesterday and you know he was excited no matter where he was gonna go but you know, I think the big question of whether, at this point is whether or not he'll go to the NHL next year or not. I talked to him. And he said he hasn't decided. I kind of got the sense, though, it's kind of like, we'll wait till the NHL team tells me what's going to happen. And I think in this case of Anaheim, he could step in immediately. Um, and they got a really good young core. And I've written about them before for Daily Faceoff. I think that they, they got a, a good group going on. Um, and a couple of guys that I'm looking at potentially benefiting from, let's say he does play next year, Frank Fertrano, a guy who had 41 points this past year, you know, I think very underrated. Um, but now, you know, he played well with Strom, but if you have a chance to play with Antilly, I think, you know, that t- unlocks a few extra steps there. There's a lot more excitement and a lot less to lose. You know, uh, I think that's a pretty exciting position to be in. Um, and then also another guys, um, one of the guys that got in the, um, Uh, the John Klingberg trade, which was Nikita Nesterenko, who I think is actually a guy that's going to be very underrated, maybe, you know, could hit 35 points this this coming season as a rookie, which wouldn't be bad for a guy who was kind of underrated. And you give him someone to play with because, you know, at the end of that season, he was playing with Isaac Lundestrom on the third line. But if your third liner becomes Ryan Strom, or if it is Fantilli. You know, I think that definitely gives them a bit more um, push there. Uh, And I do think it will also help a guy like Jimmy Drysdale having another guy to pass to. You know, I do expect Fantilli to play power play, whether that's first or second, I'm not totally sure, but he can kind of do a lot. He played a lot of different roles this year with Michigan. We saw that with the Chicago Steel, we've just kind of seen it throughout that he's so versatile, and that's what makes him such a good prospect, a guy who would be number one in most other drafts. So I think, you know, it, there's a lot of guys in that situation that will really thrive, but those are the ones I'm kind of keying in there.
0: Yeah, I think those names are definitely ones to watch. The guy that I'm most curious about in terms of the ripple effect is actually Trevor Zegers, which might sound strange because we think, well, Trevor Zegers is the center, Adam Fantilli is the center, Mason McTavish is the center. But to me, that might be a good problem to have because I wonder if Trevor Zegers' skill set long term... Might be better served on the left wing. He's not really a powerful guy. He's not really known for his defensive acumen, and I could see a future where Trevor Zegers plays more of a Johnny Gaudreau type of left wing, where you can. We've proven in the modern version of the NHL, the way the game goes east-west, Mitch Marner as well, you can be the primary puck carrier and make things happen on the wing. And I wonder if there's a way to create a loaded line down the road where you have Trevor Zegers playing with Adam Fantilli, just because of the fact that, you know, so far we know Zegers has tremendous offensive skill, but he hasn't really rounded out the defensive side of his game yet, so... I don't know. I think that could be an interesting scenario. I'm not saying I've heard anything that that's a plan, but it's just something I envision that could make sense down the road. And obviously, that would be a boon to Trevor Zegers' value if he can be out there at the same time as Adam Fantilli. So next up, Steven, we'll talk about the team that I guess we have to call the biggest loser of draft lottery night, the Columbus Blue Jackets, because they had, I believe it was the second best odds and they miss on both lottery spots. They fall down to the number three spot, which of course, it's still going to get them a great player in this draft class, but maybe not necessarily a player going right to the NHL. So what do you think about the implications for Columbus?
2: This one's interesting because when I was looking at what to place, um, uh, Matthew Mitchkoff in mind I was like could Columbus do it but you know they made it clear they're looking for a centerman and they got a really good opportunity here to get a guy like Leo Carlson or Will Smith I'm leaning towards Leo Carlson I think you know he's more you don't pick a guy who's more NHL ready at this point because that could be uh, you know you like a short term there more than long term but with Leo Carlson I just think that he's going to be a number one center and he'll be the number one center that Johnny Goudreau really needs now you know Again, I'm now almost more kind of thinking like Will Smith's kind of got that skill to really play with a guy like Gujo. But I think, you know, with, with Carlson, he could be that net front presence. He's got the two-way game. He's He could be physical. He could do all that. And that's a nice little addition for a guy like Gujo who in his first season in Columbus, you know, we, we expect big things from Goudreau. I thought he had still a good season, all things considered. But, you know, when he's playing with guys like Boone Jenner and, and Sean Corrales as your number one centerman, it's, you know, it's not exactly, you know, Leo Carlson is not exactly a number one guy that you really believe in. So I think that should really help. And, and that would also be good for a guy like uh, Kirill Marchenko, who's a really good goal scorer. And you, you're, we're expecting to see him continue to rise up the ranks the next couple of years, but might not be the most defensively sound player. You know, Leo Carlson can handle that a bit better. And I think that takes a bit of responsibility away from Marchenko and just says, just go score. Just go do what you do best. And that's really good there, too. Uh, So, you know, I think those are the ones that could really benefit from playing a guy like him. But, you know, I, I think Carlson's ready. I don't know if he's going to be playing a full-time role in the NHL and it might be something where they ease him in. I think the blue jackets can be very patient there, but if they end up picking him, you know, I think he should be at training camp. He should be contending to make the top line right out of the bat there. So uh, I do like Columbus's future. They got some good young guys coming up. I think this is going to be a good future. It's just, you know, there's still some work to be done. They did come second last in the NHL this year.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and it's interesting because I I do envision them taking Leo Carlson as well. And, from a real life standpoint I think it's a great great fit and I know there's been Andre Kopitar comparisons for Leo Carlson and if you think about the idea of the perfect line archetype it goes right back to like playing NHL 2003 and you're putting grinder score playmaker it's like you need every great line has the passer the digger and the shooter so if you have the passer and Johnny Gaudreau you have the shooter and Patrick Line, theoretically a digger Leo Carlson could make the perfect line like that could be an absolutely dominant line in the NHL the only thing I want wonder for fantasy purposes as you implied as well we don't know 100% that Leo Carlson is playing 82 games in the NHL next season so there may be a learning curve there may be a wait because of course he's coming from Europe he could play in the AHL for a little bit too so it's just a matter of wait and see but if it seems like he's going to make the team out of training camp then giddy up it actually could be a very fantasy friendly situation right off the bat for Leo Carlson and the Blue Jackets so next up, we have the San Jose Sharks, a team that's just in flux because they still have some of their veterans like Eric Carlson, Logan Couture hanging around. They have Thomas Hertl signed long-term, but the team is sort of in transition. So it's more of an awkward situation to figure out for fantasy. What do you envision right now for the Sharks?
2: This one's tough because I do kind of think that you know, if they're going to pick the best player available, and let's say that is Will Smith at that point, you know, he's going to, you're going to be waiting at least one year there for him. Um, and, you know, he's going to be going to college. He'll be playing with the entire uh, same line he had this year at the U.S. National Development Team. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, this is not going to be a, a super quick transition. So when you're looking at it, the Black, uh, the Sharks are still trying to build towards the future. They got one of them, the worst prospect pools in the league. So they really need to hit on this one, um, which is also part of the reason why I don't think they would go for a guy like Michikov, which, you know, he's a top four quality prospect, but San Jose needs to start building towards something. And uh, that's uh, picking a guy who can't come over till 2026. I just, I don't see it happening. Um, but a guy that I think would really benefit there is William Eklund. You know, he's a, a if he becomes a full time NHLer this year, he probably won't have a lot of great quality players to play with. But That'll change in a year or two if they pick a guy like Smith who could be that creative, high IQ play driver that Eklund needs to play alongside. And um, so I am thinking a little more long term here um, because, you know, they we, we still got to see where they take this thing through. Like, I, I think if I, I give them the lowest rating, I believe, of all the teams in my pre draft lottery um, prospect pool ratings, just because I just don't love what they got there. I don't think they got a lot of guys that are going to be a huge difference maker, but I think that he could really start to push things forward there. Um, Will Smith and, and a guy like William Eklund could really benefit from that as having someone to play with essentially.
0: Yeah. And I, I had Will Smith, your mark for San Jose as well, of course. And, uh, but I agree with you. It seems like more of a long-term situation and the sharks might not even be a team that wants to start improving immediately this year. Maybe they could use one more year where they're bad. And they could add another big piece to the pool. And plus, they have to figure out just, are they trading Eric Carlson? Are they bringing in more futures? So it also means there might be less pressure on whoever they pick it for to come right in. But I also agree at the same time, it's not like you necessarily want to wait several years. But I could see, let's say, Will Smith, maybe one more year of seasoning. We'll see what happens. And last, even, uh, I want to talk about the Montreal Canadiens, who are now looking like they will be picking, I think, still a very good player at number five. But there's a little bit of a drop-off, it seems.
2: It depends on how you look at it. Like I picked Ryan Leonard to go there and, you know, talking to a lot of scouts, I, I pulled a, which I can't fully agree with, but I pulled about 10 scouts. Like, would you rather have Leonard long-term or Smith? And it was actually six to to four in terms of people picking Leonard. Uh, They just think, you know, the way that he, can really take over a play. You know, he's very smart, as is Will Smith. Uh, he's got that, that that frame that allows him to throw some hits. He's willing to do that. Um, but they just say he looks more like a pro-ready player. You know, he's been training with pros his whole life. His brother uh, is in the National Predators organization so you know there's a a lot to like there i think uh ryan leonard's going to be a really good prospect if he ends up going to montreal it could be dalibor dvorski it could be a lot of things you know i've heard some people think Dvorsky should go top five i still don't agree and a lot of scouts i talked to disagree heavily there but i think you know there's a a lot of talent you can go there uh while there is a drop-off i don't know if it's a huge drop-off from like four to like nine i'd say Mm -hmm. um for the Canadians, though, they just need to keep adding assets. You know, I think this year, while they they added some nice young defensemen, I think that's a good sign. Uh, it's now like, what can you do forward and what can you do in net? And I think for uh, forwards, you want to get some guys that can help help out a guy like Slavkoski, give him something more quality to play with. It was nice seeing him playing with some veterans this year. But, you know, I think the kind of the fun thing with Cole Caulfield was he got to play from an early age with, suzuki and they got to really just kind of to to meld together and i don't think slavkowski got that he was playing with guys like do you know if those players will be in the lineup next week Mm -hmm. or next season type thing so it would be someone it'd be kind of cool to get a guy that could be there a bit more long term with him and give him some opportunities but i think with the canadians it's kind of like a you're still trying to shape what this roster is going to look like you've got a lot of good prospects coming up um i think other teams in the top five this one might be the with San Jose might be one of the harder ones to kind of say where this is going to go. Um, But I do like what Montreal is going to be building towards. It helps that they have like 300 draft picks over a couple of years span. Um, But uh, right now I'm looking at, you know, you want to get help for a guy like Slavkowski.
0: Yeah. I agree that they're a tough team to figure out. I even was wondering, you know, would they ever spring for a Zach Benson? And I know they already have a lot of small forwards and obviously now that they traded for Kirby duck, they're sort of too strong up the middle with, with Nick Suzuki and Kirby Dock, but if we're just looking for ceiling for upside, I still think the Habs could use a little bit more. Because uh, even your Slavkovsky, he's a very physical player. I don't, I don't think he necessarily has absolute superstar upside. Um, whereas I think Benson, with the offensive game he has, it'd be interesting. Then again, I don't know. Maybe they're just it would mean too many small guys in the system. You factor in Caulfield and of course Lane Hudson as well. So the Habs, to me, uh, out of the top five, are the team that I have the hardest time projecting uh, what what they're gonna do. So it'll be interesting to see. And uh, that's just the top five, but I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about Bedard and the fantasy fallout, especially as Chicago starts adding pieces as we get to free agency, it's going to be very interesting next season and we'll see how high Bedard gets picked. It's going to depend on what his supporting cast is, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, so I'm looking for you know, if you're a Canadians fan, you know, they seem to be the ones that are the most, like, I I, I don't want to say hypersensitive to everything on the draft, but it's like you guys, are, I've been following it all year long. You guys expected it to, to be a really rough year, and I know most Canadians fans will really follow the game uh, dramatically. I don't think you can go for a wrong pick. You know, with Benson, I've been talking to scouts, there were a lot that were like, not sure he's top 10. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of skill there. Great players to play with it where he played in the Winnipeg. So, uh, which you can't take. You look at a guy like Ryan Leonard, he was the lowest scoring player on the top scoring U.S. national development team of all, or top line of all time. But, uh, you know, I still think that we're just looking at guys that there's so little variance in the top, after the top three, top four, that it's like you could go so many ways, and I think you're going to be pretty happy with it. Although I still think I, the Montreal Canadiens made the wrong pick last uh, last year, but well, we'll, well that, that's a story for a different day. But today we're going to talk instead. Uh, but the tip of the week, which we're going to stick with the uh, the draft, and it's don't be afraid to get aggressive in your fantasy draft with 2023 draft class rookies.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because I'm going to be directly contradicting my tip from the previous episode, which was don't forget about previous draft classes. (laughs) And the thing is, that is normally true. But every once in a while, a special year comes along with some talent that's just so high ceiling that I want you to throw that rule that I just gave you last week out the window. And the 2023 class applies. I just think the talent is so special, especially as you get closer to your actual fantasy draft date and you get a better sense of which players from this class are going to be in the draft. That's going to affect what you do too. But let's say we're in a world where, well, obviously Conor is going right to the NHL. We think that Adam Fantilli is. I think there's still a very good chance that Leo Carlson does and so on and so on. Maybe Will Smith as well. We'll see. But I think a lot of these players would have been the first overall pick last year. I think if you use Fantilli as an example, I think he you couldn't make a case that he would have gone first overall ahead of Owen power in 2021. So just for people that are just that don't follow the draft that closely and kind of wait until fantasy season before their draft to kind of catch up. If you're listening to this right now, you should know that these guys at the top of this draft class, they're, I think quite far ahead, definitely from last year's class, maybe a little bit the, the year before as well. Like I think Fantilli would have gone ahead of Matty Bonnears as well. Nothing against Matty Meneers or Owen Power, but it's just, I'm trying to offer some perspective on how good this class is. So I think it's totally fine to reach. We're in an era where even at 18 years old, players are expected to go right into the lineup and be top six forwards or top four defensemen as rookies. So that means there could be immediate fantasy impact. And I'm sure we'll keep talking about Connor Bernard, but to me, he's already a top 25 asset. I don't think I'd pick him any lower than that in fantasy. So go ahead and hype yourself up
2: and reach on players from this draft class. I will say I just want to do some breaking news. Uh it looks like Gabriel Landeskog will miss the entire 2023-24 season. Uh wow. with what is being reported as a a cartilage transplant in his right knee. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, so that uh, is Very good. So shout out to to Colton for getting it for dailyfacef.com Um but uh yeah, that's uh that is not a good sign. Um yeah, but I, I would say Fantilli like because there's the, another guy that kind of came into consciousness pretty early. And I think, you know, if I had to make a projection. In-
1: jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully. With expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.
2: or there was rumors that he was going to go for the OHL exceptional draft, like uh, exceptional status. Like, you know, this guy probably could have been the best prospect, you know, if you compare it to the 2020, 2021, 2022 prospects. Like, he's that good of a player. And, you know, every year you'll kind of hear sometimes like, oh, this guy could have probably gone first overall this year, this year. I think with with Fantaley, it's like, yeah, he he definitely could have. Um, It's no question about it. He'd be the top prospect for next year's draft too. Uh, There's no guy that's coming up that's as good as that. So, um, yeah, so. I'm, I think it's going to be, this is an interesting draft where you're going to get a lot of guys that are going to be getting 50 points in the NHL very soon. I think. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very interesting.
0: And speaking of very interesting, I'm going to transition to something that, you know what? I don't think this is interesting because we have to talk about the stupid world championship, the worst (laughs) tournament in hockey. That's not best on best. It's just whoever's available. I call it the road hockey tournament because it's like knocking on your friends, parents doors asking if they can come play, and that's what the World Championship is. It doesn't determine anything. It's just whoever's available and not in the playoffs, but I digress. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, I will give you the respect, Stephen, for our best bet of the week. We are going to discuss World Championship futures, and I want to hear your pick for the winner. If you're into that kind of thing, I guess, tell me who's going to win this tournament.
2: Well, I will say, well over twenty NHL franchises should be paying attention to this tournament. But I, unfortunately, I do have to agree. Uh, this year, this is not a great pool of players. <laughs> um, you know, looking at Canada yesterday, and one of their big additions was an AHL player, and the other was like a seventh defenseman in the NHL. So it's like, kind of, oh, um, so yeah, it's not going to be a great tournament, or a great t- time in terms of really talented pool players. And we could have got some really quality players. We could have got Kale McCarr. Actually, he I think he's technically banned because of the 2018 team. But he could have got Nathan McKinnon, you know, Jonathan Tays, uh, Sidney Crosby, guys like that. It would have been pretty fun, but instead, whatever. Um, but the team I'm looking for is the team I always look forward to when I don't think there's a true number one favorite, and that's Finland. And part of that is they play together. A large portion of this core play together in other tournaments throughout the year. Uh, a lot of this core remains the same year after year, um, and I think that makes that pretty good. Um, so they don't need to rely on NHL talent. You know, they played in in 2018 a team of zero NHL players and beat Canada. A team was only had NHL players on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, when it comes to the way the Finns play, they just really will grind you down and make things really tough. And uh, especially, you know, if you know Russia in the tournament, I think the talent pool for teams gives it more opportunity for a, a group like Finland to really thrive. And, you know, they, they were in the final in 2019, 2021, 2022. You're starting to see a trend that they typically get to the final and they typically play against Canada too. Um, so I think, you know, that's the group i am be going for right now. Uh, another, if you want to go for a long shot team, go for Switzerland you know this is a team that doesn't change year to year often you know they've had their ups and downs and they don't typically score a lot but I think, you know, they got Nito -Nito Niederreiner this year. I think, you know, if the Devils get knocked out, Nico Hesher typically likes to go to this event. So that could be interesting. And, you know, the Devils in general have like half of Switzerland on them. (laughs) Um, So that would be pretty good. Um, But, you know, Finland's my favorite. Uh, Canada definitely is going to be contending for a medal there. Um, But then, you know, with Switzerland would be my kind of my underdog. Like, hey, if you want to take a long shot bet, that'd be a good one to do.
0: Okay. I I like the pick. And uh, anyone watching and listening, go to ProLine Plus to get the futures. The odds will be updated daily. And a word from our sponsor, ProLine Plus. ProLine Plus is not... Just Another Sportsbook being the only sportsbook that gives 100% of the profits back to Ontario. ProLine has been your local trusted sportsbook for over 30 years, now offering Ontario sports fans more ways to play in-store, online, or take the game on the go with the ProLine app, with your favorite sports and events right at your fingertips. Download the ProLine app and bet in-app with ProLine Plus today or head over to ProLinePlus.ca to learn more. I wonder if I'm going to be able to memorize that one of these days. That would be pretty sweet. Okay, Stephen, now let's get to some listener questions. I think we have some good ones this week.
2: Yeah, so I like this first one. It uh, comes from Adam Sandberger. Uh, is Adam Fantilli really going to be a game-changing forward?
0: Yeah, and to me, it depends on how you define game-changing. You know, you could say game-changing is Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard. But if you mean game-changing within the context of changing his team's fate, being able to take over a game – then yes, I think that Adam Fantilia has a superstar ceiling. And I actually see a real parallel to the 2015 draft class. So you have the generational talent, Connor McDavid, and the number two pick in that draft, Jack Eichel. The talk at the time was Eichel was also one of the best prospects to come around in a long time and he could have been a number one overall pick in many other draft classes there's a real similarity there Jack Eichel was already playing div one before getting drafted just like Adam Fantilli so I, I see a parallel even just in terms of the ceiling I don't think Eichel has become a superstar but he's been the star player in the NHL he's been worthy of the number two overall pick and I see something similar in terms of Fantilli's trajectory uh in a fantasy context i think he'll be a top 50 player within a few years of of debuting in the nhl
2: yeah no no question for me you know i just the way he can control a play and the we, we saw him in the ncaa and you know some of those guys were going to pro immediately like he wasn't playing against low quality competition when you go to the ncaa you're playing against guys who are typically bigger stronger older and can just do like you know they, they, they're more suited for the pro game than playing against junior guys. And, and talking to, um, talking to Fantale, he was telling me that he wanted to play there because, you know, he felt like he didn't have anything to really gain from playing like four or five years of junior hockey. He felt like he had a chance to really do something here at Michigan. And we saw this year him putting up over 60 points as a freshman. It was unbelievable. He, he deserved that, Hobie Baker, no question. I think, you know, if he's in the NHL next year, I think he's going for 50 points. And, you know, Bar- Bedard's probably going to go out there and win the Calder Trophy. Um, but I do think Fantale is going to be like as good as of a rookie as we've seen, regardless of what happens. Uh, next question comes from Ranton and Raven. You could put 20 on three different players to win the Calder next season. Who are your three? I think we just talked about two there. Yeah.
0: Okay. So Cotter Medard, of course, that's a shoe in You're overthinking it if you're not putting him on the ballot. Um, And of course, Fantilli obviously deserves a lot of consideration. But I want to go back to my rule from a couple weeks ago about don't forget other draft classes. And I have a few other names that are really on my radar. Um, Don't forget about defensemen. And I think Luke Hughes has a tremendous setup situation in New Jersey. Uh, sort of like when we saw Kale McCarr, he debuted in the playoffs as a rookie coming out of college, and then he won the Calder Trophy the next year because he just was entering a team that was already a major contender, had lots of talent around him. To me, it's like identical situation to what Luke Hughes is in. So, to me, he's my number two pick for the Calder Trophy at the moment, and. I'm tempted to say Logan Cooley, but we don't know 100%, unless I'm wrong, Stephen, but we don't know 100% that he's turning pro yet. Uh, Otherwise, I still like him as a a call to trophy threat. If Logan Cooley doesn't turn pro, I'm going to say Brant Clark of the Los Angeles Kings as my number three pick. So I'd say Bedard, Luke Hughes, Brant Clark, and rounding out a hypothetical top five would be Fantilli and Logan Cooley.
2: Yeah, I, I believe the, the understanding here is Cooley is probably not going. Um, and he will, I believe he's going to be playing with Celebrini next year. So that would be quite the reason to not go. Um, but um, I'd be wrong with school there. But yeah, so it sounds like Cooley won't be going uh, to the NHL. He'll go back to college. And I think that's the right call, no matter kind of who they draft. Um, you know, if, if I'm going, uh, my, the three, I have to go with Bedard. I do think Fantale will be playing in the pros. And I really like the idea of Luke Hughes. I think, you know, that he's going to be playing decent minutes on a good team. Um, but at the same time, you know, I Brant Clark, you know, it, the, the thing about it is part of the reason my power without getting all the points this year, why he got all the love for the Calder was because he was just, Truly, very good defensively, and I don't think we get that with Brant Clark, and that's why I'm not going to put him there. Um, I, I think he'll he could receive some significant votes due to just you know the amount of like the amount of points he'll probably put up, and he'll play a bigger role, I think, than than Luke Hughes next year. But I think you know just Luke Hughes. Just I say that knowing that Hughes is also a liability defensively, but I think you know just there's a lot going for him. I think he's a better prospect at this point. So I think those are the three guys I'd be putting in in terms of top five. I'm not willing to commit yet so. all right yeah i agree next question comes from sam Clampson. has and andre vasilevsky's fantasy value dropped he looked more human this year uh yes
0: i do think it has dropped um in my own league scoring system he finished as the number eight goalie in the league this year he's still an elite fantasy goalie but when you're drafting him typically to be the safest pick on the board slam dunk number one fantasy goalie it would be considered a mild disappointment for you to for him to drop to number eight uh i do wonder if there's actually potential for him to be kind of like i don't want to say buy low or sleeper but i could see a bounce back next season because for the first time since 2019 the tampa bay lightning have a short or, or a longer off season i should say which means a lot more time for recovery and vasilevsky's had a lot of mileage on playing 12 playoff series 13 in four years, 12 in three years. And I could see him just being ready for a big workload and and coming back a lot sharper next season because he finally has time to work on some stuff. Um, But that said, even if it's true, I don't think he's in a tier of his own anymore as the safest goalie on the board. If you're looking at who's the number one fantasy goalie next year, it could still be him. It could be Connor Hellebuck on a new team. It could be Jake Ottinger. It could be Ilya Sorokin, Igor Sterkin. So just the fact that there are so many names to rhyme off there, to me, it just implies that Vasilevsky is no longer the king in his own tier. So yes, the answer is his fantasy value has gone down, but to me, that's actually a buying opportunity in pools next year.
2: It's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I do agree for sure from a fantasy perspective. I think in a real life perspective, this kind of like you alluded to, this might be actually what just saves Tampa and might put them right back into the final next year. This break, you know, it's hard to do it year after year after year. I don't think anyone really expected him to do it four years in a row. Um but you know after three straight Cup final appearances and two cups, you know, they've, they still got most of that same core. It's not like they forgot how to play. And yeah, you know, they're a little older and, and we don't, I don't expect this, the best hockey ever out of Hedman and Stamkos going forward, but I do expect some, some very good hockey. And I think, This is a group that should bounce back next year and contend, but we'll have to see on that one. Uh, And then this one comes from Geraldine Harvey. Hey guys. So this might be a dumb question. No such thing. um, But I have to keep either Kale McCarr or Leon Dreisaitl. We give some extra points to blue liners to make an elite defender more like an elite forward, but Dreisaitl is still Dreisaitl. Both would be hard to replace. So what would you do? And I guess there's no, I, I, uh, cl- try to clarify I'm like, hey, like, how do you do the points thing? And they said it was a bit complicated, but basically, like the best defenseman should get among the m- same amount of points as like a top forward,
0: okay. yeah. So with that waiting, of course, it's it's going to be a hard decision because kale McCarr in in that type of format might be a top five player. But that said, I still think what we're seeing from Leon Dryse and Connor McDavid in fantasy, it's sort of a landmark moment for pools in the last twenty five years. So to me, I don't think you can overthink this one and the best stat I can give you. So in the last five years, Leon Dreisaitl has eighty one points more than the third highest score in the league. So, in other words, McDavid is in another on another planet, but so is Dreisaitl. He's in a he's in a like they're each in their own solar system, right? So if Dreisaitl is eighty one points ahead of number three, which is Nathan McKinnon, it just gives you a perspective of how how locked in he is as a top two player in fantasy. like it's not even close. They're in their own stratosphere, so I still lean dry even if the weighting is equal between him and Makar.
2: Okay, I like that. that. That's good. Yeah, it's like with yeah, Dry it feels like we're still underrating him to a point, the way that it's talked about. It's like, oh, it's my Dave David. It's like look, look at dry look what he could do, especially on the power play. It's like I'm it, it's it's still Leon Dry
0: That's right. Yeah, especially that power play, the greatest power play in the history of, of the sport so we're gonna finish off with the starting lineup now and steven you're getting the floor and i already know there's gonna be an all-time epically just jaw-dropping take coming here but last week i ranked star wars movies it's your (laughs) turn you're a big spider-man lover so let's hear your ranking of spider-man movies in your starting lineup
2: all right so i'm going to start at the bottom amazing spider-man one um I thought the suit was really cool. Uh, That's the first Andrew Garfield one. I just I had a hard time taking him seriously as Peter Parker. I liked Garfield as Spider Man. I thought that he was the the, he was very good, funny. You know, the CGI was quite a lot, um, but I thought they did a great job. Speaking of CGI, um, but okay, but the reason why I didn't put it there is because I just I didn't again I just didn't feel like I could truly believe Garfield, especially after seeing the the previous three movies. So I had seen like kind of a blueprint of like all right. So he's got to be better than this. And I don't think he was. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of why I think it's the the bottom. Um, The second worst, I'd say, is Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it. But the more I've watched it back, I'm like, man, this is, this is, like, I don't know how to, other than, like, Transformers in terms of the amount of CGI that it was. was. And, and, you know, most of Spider-Man movies have become that. um, But that one, it was just, like, I, I can't believe they threw the green goblin in there like that. What in the world was that supposed to be? That was such a waste. Now it does seem like we might get something with that rhino that was shown at the very end. But the fact that we got Rhino, I was like, oh, that's so cool. He's like more epic than I was expecting. And then they just like, oh, yeah, by the way, series is canceled. It's like, oh, <laughs> OK, maybe not. So. That's how I view that one. Um, Next one, Homecoming. Uh, Good movie, but it felt a little too safe and too much reliance on, on Iron Man. It still feels like we haven't seen a proper, like, Tom Holland Spider-Man movie where Tom Holland Spider-Man is actually like the main character Mm -hmm. Um, it's like every movie he's overshadowed by something else and uh, so it'd be nice to kind of see what they could do but you know it was a nice starting point but it didn't feel like it could it it felt like they could have done so much more with it Uh, then it's Spider-Man one and I still enjoy watching it but just looking back you know I tried not to go through nostalgia glasses because uh, I thought that one's still a very enjoyable one, and the scene with the uh, with Green Goblin and Spider Man in the the burning building I think is still one of the coolest Spider Man scenes. But you watch it now and it's like, oh yeah, this movie is like very poorly done and compared to everything else. Like I, I make fun of the CGI of the current movies, but it feels a bit more believable, especially the one scene where um, where Spider Man's holding Mary Jane after saving her from uh, the green goblins bombs and stuff. And it's like, you could tell it's like completely like an animatronic mm-hmm. and he doesn't move whatsoever. And She's like, wow. and He's like completely robotic. And it's like that, that kind of <laughs> killed it for me. Um, the next one being uh, is uh, far from home. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Uh, I wish we saw, like, we kind of start seeing just the kind of the nut CGI stuff. And it was just like, eh, this again, this doesn't feel great And I I do like the way that the twist of Mysterio though, because I thought Mysterio was always a super cool character Mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure how they were going to do it, but I thought they did a good job there. No real complaints other than, yeah, a little bit too much CGI, but the one where he's going for the hallucinations, I think is one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. That was very
0: true to the Mysterio sequences in the comic.
2: Very much so. Um, Then the next one being Spider-Man two, you know, the original one, I, you know, I I know everyone kind of says that's their favorite movie and I thought it was, it was pretty good. It's just, I, I don't know. It just, that one's the one that just kind of doesn't stand out to me as being like the one I really want to go back and watch. And I I don't know why it's like, there's, there's no real flaws with it. There's a lot of really good concepts and it kind of sets up the, the Peter versus Harry drama. But I, you know, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't sit with me the same into the spider verse. is my number three movie. Uh, I know that's a lot of people's number one too, but I, the reason why just for me, someone who suffers a lot of headaches, that's a hard movie to watch a lot of times, just the animation style. Um, I've loved it every time I've watched it. I'm really excited for this next one. I love the Spider-Verse uh, th- uh, stuff. You know, m- my first favorite thing, the thing that got me into Spider-Man was the Spider-Man cartoon from the the mid-1990s. Mm-hmm. And one of the final episodes they did was a Spider-Verse idea. And I thought that was really cool. They were able to make that to something. My number two movie, uh, considering I haven't said it yet, is Spider-Man 3. And I know that's like everyone's like bottom, but Spider-Man. I was just, you know, from from that series, it felt like the most polished production wise, Um, you know, watching it back, I still feel like the quality of of it actually still holds up. Um, I I was very happy to see Venom. It felt like it was almost like, even though the actual physical version of Venom in the Venom movies spinoff is way better. I think this portrayal of Venom of this guy being a pretty bloodthirsty guy was actually pretty cool. And I don't know if you've seen, but there's like uh, cut scenes from it and there's a lot of cut content from that movie in particular that's really interesting including like a much bigger venom but also one where where eddie brock basically turns into a skeleton near the end and it's really cool but for me i think the thing that really drives that movie home is salmon i think that is one of the greatest spider-man characters ever and i felt like you know he never got his own thing but i thought he was great the story was good with like why he would be like Like he wasn't out there to just cause harm. He was trying to help out his family. I thought that was cool. And it'd be great Mm -hmm. to see if they can do more of that, you know, now that there's been rumors that he could be in another Spider-Man movie. And then Spider-Man No Way Home has to be number one. It's just that that's just everything I wanted. That that's that's all I was asking for. I don't care if the story was stupid. I got to see all the Spider-Man together. I always wanted that. And I hope that I feel like that. The success of that could be like, well, we could keep trying different things. Maybe we do something where, you know, if we do a real into the Spider-Verse thing, it could be like, you know, like we could we could see more of these guys involved again. So um, that's just my hope. But otherwise, I I think that this, you know, I don't have a I I could watch all the Spider-Man movies. I love them all for their own reasons. It's the only movie series I truly care to always watch. Um, but I'm going with uh, Into the or, uh, No Way Home is my number one.
0: Okay. I still don't know. No way home. I still think there's somewhat of a recency bias, but the chemistry of the three Spider-Men together was really fun. And I do think just from a marketing standpoint, there's going to be calls to bring them back. And now that they've opened up the possibility of multiverses, they can do it whenever they want. If they just feel like bringing Andrew Garfield back into the mix or Tobey Maguire, it, it can actually be feasible, which is very interesting to me. I like most of the justifications for your rankings there, Steven, still think Spider-Man 3 is a bit of a disaster because Topher Grace, he, in physicality, he doesn't look like Eddie Brock. Eddie Brock's supposed to look like Brock Lesnar. He's supposed I to be know, a bodybuilder. Okay. But I, I still respect the bold choice. And, of course, it does have one of the most famous sequences, which is emo black costume Peter strutting down the street. So I'll give you that one as well.
2: Oh, it, and the suit was great. The black suit I thought was awesome. That was exactly what I was hoping for being yeah,
0: I think you're. I think you're bang on with that one for sure. Well, that's it for this episode of Puck Poolies. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back. I think the next episode we're going to be doing some fantasy hockey season and awards, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll see you soon.
2: Imagine. Now-